Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. You know, the older I get, which I'm not very old, but I'm beginning to realize, man, the crazier it sounds, the more it takes faith, and the more faith it takes, the more God shows up. And faith looks crazy until it happens. So sometimes it just requires us, if we want to walk in faith, to look crazy. And I'm okay with looking crazy. I'm okay with looking crazy. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray right now that that you have your way. Thank you for what you've already done. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you. I pray that your word will penetrate our hearts and help me to deliver it. Lord, let me rightly divide your word. Let us walk out of here changed. Let us not be the same person that we walked in. Let us, because we encountered the God of the universe, we should walk out of here changed. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for how it's going to penetrate our hearts and minds and how it's going to wreck us and rebuild us on a firm foundation. In the name of Jesus, amen. That said, I got some important business to take care of. I got to tell you a joke. (laughs) You guys should know by this time, like, a joke's coming. And this one I heard from an Australian kid on the internet, so it's going to be good. And this, by no means um, do I believe in violence, but this is too funny not to share. So there's no telling what's going to come out of my mouth. I'm pretty unfiltered. But this kid asks this question, so I'm going to ask you. If a vegetarian and a vegan fell off a cliff at the same time, who wins? Who, who is the body, bottom first and wins? Who wins? If they both fell at the same time, who wins when they hit the bottom? Hmm. Society. <laughs> you, I mean, honestly, you could, on, you could also say like a feminist and Democrat in that joke. I mean, like, oh, don't, you can't say that. I'm, it's, it's, it slipped. It slipped. I'm sorry. It slipped out. We're going to get going. I'm, no, that's not true. Not true. But if God, if God wanted us to be vegan or vegetarian, he would not have made animals so fun to shoot. Like... Uh, stop it! I'm stick to the four jokes, Ryan. They're way better. Um, I just lost some of you guys. Is this guy real, dude? I, I, I yes, it gets worse. Just it does. But the message will get better. But the jokes get worse. Just believe me. Um, today we're continuing in a series called Church in Crisis, and. We're looking at 1 Corinthians, and that was a church that was in crisis. They had immorality abound. They were bickering and fighting. They were choosing to follow preachers over following Jesus. They would, they would, instead, they, they, they would follow celebrity over Jesus. They, they were suing one another. There was division, and the apostle Paul had to step in and write a very hard letter to them and as, I got to be honest, guys, I, I'm going to be really transparent. When we launched this series, my family came under attack like crazy. Like on a personal level, 
like, like my kids started acting out like not themselves, uh, just a heaviness when we started talking about this because there's a lot of parallels between the church in Corinth and the church in the United States. We have churches that are following celebrity. We have churches that aren't standing on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and the word of God. We have churches that are bickering amongst themselves in denominationalism instead of working together to grow the kingdom. Jesus, I talk to people all the time. They'll ask, well, what, what type of church is C1? I'm like, assemblies of God, but here's my opinion on denomination. Jesus died to create one church. Man's opinion created denominations. And that's the reality of it. Because if we can't put aside our differences on a theological level to work together to grow the kingdom of God for the glory of God, then we have bigger issues. And, but that's what was happening in the, in the Corinthian church. And that's what's happening today. And I feel like we need to have discernment as a living church so we can speak hard truths in love, so we can go back to the basics. Paul is hitting on the basics and the fundamentals hard, and today he's going to talk about a firm foundation. Last week we talked about spiritual maturity and what that looked like. And, and we, we said maturity in Christ has nothing to do with your age, but it has everything to do with your obedience to the Holy Spirit. And here we're talking about foundations. When I was about 15 years old, 15 or 16, 17, somewhere in that window, it was about 20 years ago, me and my dad undertook this project at my house. The whole end of our house went like this. The whole end, like, like the foundation cracked. And it was starting to separate. You could literally, it was like an inch gap in the brick on the outside. And then the, the sheetrock kids, back in the day, we had wallpaper. And um, <laughs> we had wallpaper. And the wallpaper is doing that whole, like, wrinkly thing on our walls. And then sheetrock was starting to split. And my, my dad is a... He's a construction superintendent. He did, does commercial. This guy, like he would say he's a jack of all trades and a master of none. I would say he's a jack of all trades and a master of most. This guy just knows everything. Like I, I, I pray that I'm, I'm just one-tenth of him and I'll be a great dad. Um, but with that said, he, he was like, we got to do this. And so he, he went and got a backhoe, and about every six feet around that end of the house, we dug up under our foundation. And we dug down, and then we sank piers, and then we used 20-ton jacks. Like, there was like 12 holes. You know, it was weird. My dad got to use a backhoe, and I had to use a shovel to dig these things. Like, I don't, like, I'm like, Dad, you could just dig this hole. He's like, no, you just need to work. You know, like, like just use a backhoe to dig it. He's like, no, you're going to dig that one on your own. I'm like, oh, so, but we had like 12 holes up under the foundation about every six feet around the end of our house, and we had a bunch of 20-ton jacks, and we would jack it up, put steel, and like we would just do it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and, and what we discovered, though, about the foundation, because our house, this was in, gosh, 2005, 2006, our house then was probably about 46 years old, that some of the footers, there's... Mr. Randy, not to put you on the spot, but how deep does the residential footer need to be? Yeah, 
Yeah. So at least 12 inches below grade. And it could be deeper based on the soil that's under it. We discovered some of our footer was about four inches thick because it was on top of a big rock that they couldn't move. And they thought because the rock was there that it would be strong enough. But what was under the rock wasn't strong enough to hold the weight of the house over time. So when it settled, it started to break. So foundations are very important because if your foundation cracks, your house starts to fall apart. I would argue that the foundation might be the most important part of your house. You don't start with the roof. There's a reason why you lay a good foundation. There's a reason why there's codes that Brandy has memorized time and again and probably wrote some um, because um, there's codes for this because it's very costly to fix the foundation. And Paul is stepping in here to the Corinthian church, and he's fixing a foundation. Because if we don't have a strong foundation, what we build will wash away. Even Jesus talked about this. He talked about the builder who built his house on the sand and the builder who built his house on the rock. The one who built his house on the sand, when storms came, it crashed. But when the one who, when storms came, who built this house on the rock, it stood strong because it had a solid foundation. It wasn't rocked. So we step into verse 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're finishing out the chapter. And it says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we've already laid Jesus Christ right out the gate he's telling us the foundation for our life is Christ and you can't add to it he's the foundation and it's very tempting to add to it. We try to add to it by our actions, by legalism, by religion, by, by different things that we think are cool, um, and, and it pans out to be paganism. Like it's, it's, but Jesus is our foundation. In verse 12, he says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the, on the day of judgment, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, that builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So what now he's saying is now that we have the foundation worked out, what we build matters. What we build on that foundation matters. Then he says this in verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, how many of you guys have ever heard, well, the, you know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit in church? You've heard that your whole life? 
Yeah, sometimes we can graze over that and not really get the impact of what he's saying, and we're going to hit on that later. But we also sometimes stop at that. He says, he says that God's spirit lives in you, and God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. That doesn't seem warm and fuzzy. It seems kind of heavy and hard. But it's the heavy and hard things that build us and help us live righteously. If you think you are wise by, your, by this world's standards, he said, stop deceiving yourselves. For if you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As scriptures say, he, will tr- he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and he knows they are worthless. So don't boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death, or the present, or the future. Everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to you. When you have Jesus, you have everything. You don't need anything else. I have a few thoughts today. We're going to get out by at least 2.30, and we're going to... I've timed, I've timed I cut at least an hour out of my message. So, no, uh, I, want, I want us to get back to the basics. That's what the whole point of Corinthian church is. is it's a it's a, the whole point of 1 Corinthians is getting the church recentered on Christ, getting back to the fundamentals, getting back to the foundation. And, and our, my first thought for you today is our foundation for life is Christ. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will, will be added unto you. And, and so often what happens is we seek other things and we lose Christ. But when we seek Christ, he adds the other things. And, and Paul is hitting this. He's like, I laid a foundation. What was the foundation that he laid? The gospel of peace. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the interesting thing. And he even says, he said, you can't add to this foundation. And if we do add to this foundation, it causes so much resentment in our walk with God. And it causes so much frustration. And, and here's why. Here's why it causes it. Well, and, and how do we add it, first of all? What does that look like? Well, we get saved. Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what he said. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and, he, and you can't take credit for this. Okay? He says, it is a free gift from God. Salvation, he says in verse 9, is, n- is not a reward for the good things you've done, so none of you can boast about it. So what he's saying is, you've been saved by, by grace through faith. This is not from yourself. It, you can't earn it. But what happens is we try to earn it because we don't like to be in debt naturally. We don't like to owe people. If I asked, if I asked you guys, who likes to owe people stuff? Everyone's hand would stay down because no one likes to be in debt. And so I think a lot of people have a hard time about receiving. Some people don't. My wife loves getting gifts. Um, she, she could take them all day long. Um, 
But we have a hard time receiving sometimes, especially when it comes to something too good to be true. And salvation is too good to be true, and it's true. And so what happens is we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus did all the work for our salvation. He did all the work for, for this relationship with God. He restored our right standing. He reconciled us to the Father. Um, the, Bible, the Bible uses the word reconciliation because it's a mathematical term, and reconciliation means to put in the right category. So when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, he reconciles us. He puts us in the right category. What category is that? It's sonship and daughtership to the Father. We are, we, are, we are created to be a son of God or a daughter of God, and that's the right category. And when people don't have a relationship with the Lord, they're actually not in the right category. That's why we preach the gospel. We, God wants to reconcile them. And so what happens, though, when we, when we receive this, in this, and we might be overwhelmed by our salvation, but over time, and believe me, I grew up in the Assemblies of God back when it was like a holiness movement. Like, it was like, you know, put on your Sunday best. Or I'm not saying that you don't, or, or you know, godliness and next to cleanliness and stuff like that. That's not in the Bible. FYI. But, but we, we put things on like, you need to do this. You need to do that. And, oh, you have to read your Bible every day. Should you? Yes. Do you have to? No. Because your salvation is on Jesus. But what happens is, well, tell me if this does not sound right. Some of you guys are really disciplined and you read the Bible every day, not because you have to, because you want to. And that's how it should be. Because having to do something and wanting to do something are two different things. One will render growth and maturity and one will render resentment. And so when we have to do something like I have to read my Bible and you miss a day, what do you feel like you have to do the next day? Read twice as much, right? What if you miss like three days? Or you've been trying to pray for like, five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, whatever, you set this goal of like, I'm going to pray for this long. And you just, you woke up late for some reason or whatever, and, and you just didn't have your alone time and you missed it. Well, you're trying to make it up, right? Because that's what legalism will tell you. That's what religion will tell you to do, make it up. And, 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 and that's, that's what Paul is getting at here. He said, you're adding to the foundation when you have that mindset. Because you can't, you, you can't make things up to God. What can you give him that? And you don't need to feel bad when you miss something. The goal is you get to spend time with the Lord. That's the attitude to have. I get to go read my Bible. I get to pray. What an honor. And if for, for some reason I miss it, the next day or later that day or whatever it looks like, I pick up right where I'm at. And you know what? God's never mad at me. And he's not mad at you. But legalism and religion add to that. And then we live in a pagan society. Now, I'm going to say some things that might be kind of hard. And I love you. I'm going to lay that foundation right up the gate. But we live in a society that is controlled by Satan. And so what he tries to do is he tries to weasel his way in with things. And I see it all the time. You walk into, um, I've walked into people's houses and they have crystals or like, they, like oh, it's just innocent or whatever. But, but, or, or, or they wear them or whatever that looks like. But it is paganism. And it's adding, and the enemy wants you to believe that it's okay. But God's first commandment and God's second commandment are very clear. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart. <laughs> Worship him only. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, he has to be enough. You, 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 get, you end up actually getting trapped by the things that you think will add to your walk with the Lord when they're not from the Lord. Well, wear this and this will help. I'm not, <laughs> Mike, if a rock could bring peace, I used to collect rocks when I was you know, in, in California. I would have the most peace in the world. In fact, I talked to my rocks. I was crazy. And, but it can't. But you know who can bring peace? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But Paul is getting at, you can't, you can't add to what Jesus has already done. He's the foundation. Your salvation is in him. You don't need other things for peace. You don't need other things for joy. You don't need other things for provision. He's it. And our faith awakens when we actually believe it. When you're at your last straw and you say, God, you either are who you say you are or you're not, and you just say, I'm going to trust you. He comes through every single time without fail. If I asked, if I walked to any saint here today that's been saved more than 30 years, I could say, how many times has God failed you? Honestly, tell me. And this is what they would say, never. Now, he didn't always answer the way I thought he should answer, but he never failed. Then I would, I would do a follow-up question. But how he answered, was it better? He's like, well, at the time, I didn't think it was better. But looking back, man, God protected me from this, 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 and this. It's so true. Because he doesn't fail. He doesn't know how. But we only get that when we stand on the sure foundation of who Jesus is. So how, how does standing on the foundation of Jesus look like today? How does that play out in our life? Because it's, it's good in theory to hear like, oh yeah, we're going to stand on the foundation. But what, what is the practical step how we do it? Because sometimes we can hear messages and then not think about like, okay, that was great. Then you walk away, he's like, you never told us how to stand on the foundation. That's like, I don't want to do that. How do we stand on the foundation? Well, let's just be real. That's a great question, FYI. I'm glad you asked. When things get tight, I'm just going to give you some scenarios. When things get tight, we pray and trust God he will provide. That's how you stand on the foundation. When we get sick, we pray and trust God that he will heal. <laughs> when we get depressed, we pray and trust God that joy comes in the morning. When we feel anxiety, we turn to him and know that he brings peace. It's that simple. It really is. It really is. The other day, it's actually Thursday morning, I woke up and I'm going to say something and you guys will know what I'm talking about, but I don't exactly know how to word it other than this. It's like a churchy term, 
but like a, a spirit of heaviness. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just a heaviness on me. And I didn't feel depressed, but I felt depressed. I'm like, why am, I, why am I so depressed in my spirit? Why am I so downcast? I couldn't figure it out. I was, that whole morning, I'm praying, and I'm like going through my life. I'm like, Lord, is there any sin? And like, I'm, I'm just thinking through my week, and I'm like, <laughs> I just couldn't put my finger on it. I'm like, God, why am I so heavy right now? So I'm praying about a bunch of different things, and I'm turning it over to the Lord the best I know how. And how I did it was I prayed, and then I, I, I got alone with the Lord, and I, I honestly just listened to worship music. I, I, I listened to some songs by Co uh, Cody Carnes about He Won't Fail, uh, and, and just different songs. I listened to some that we sang this morning, and just I was trying to fill my head up with things that glorify God because I couldn't put my finger on why I was so heavy and why I was so downcast in my spirit, and I felt this just great depression and, and worry. I was worrying about things I, I normally would never worry about, and just things, I'm like, God, why am I not surrendering this? And I drove through a neighborhood, and I look over, and Miss Maria's walking. And I thought, I know her. And so I pulled off like a creeper and rolled down my window, I was like, Miss Maria. And, and you know what's so interesting is how, how the Lord worked. Uh, she climbed up on my big, my, big, my big truck, and she was just holding on for dear life. <laughs> and she stuck her head into the window, and she said, you are blessed and highly favored. First thing out of her mouth, and it was just from the Lord. She didn't say hi. She didn't say anything. I mean, she did say something after that, but like right up front, she just rolled down and she just said, you are blessed and highly favored. And like that, it broke. Like it broke in me. And, and what, what I, I, the only thing I could think of is it was the Lord reminding me of who I am in him. My identity in him is blessed and highly favored. And if you are in the Lord, you are blessed and highly favored. That's the reality of your existence. That's the foundation. The Lord recentered me on who I was, on the foundation of who I am in Him. Because we got to stand on our foundations. We go back to Him. We go back to what He says about us. The second thought I want to give you is we must realize that God, what God has done. So I want to take and actually cover the end of the chapter and then go back and hit the middle part of the chapter real quick. Because I think when we realize what God has done to us and for us, it changes what we build. And so that, that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at, we're going to cover the end where he talks about us being the temple of God real quick. And then we're going to go back about building on it. We realize, he, he, <laughs> when we realize what God has done to us, it changes things. Paul, Paul says something so significant, so powerful that we, we all said, we've heard it before. He says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've heard that. You've heard it so many times before that I bet when you read this, you don't think about it. It becomes mundane. But that 
statement probably has some of the most gravity in the whole Bible. When you think about the Old Testament, I want, I want you to think about this for a second. In order for God to dwell amongst his people, at first he had this tent called the tabernacle. And it, it dude, it was probably the most expensive tent that ever existed. It had gold, it had amazing wood, carpentry galore, and then it had two rooms in it. It had a holy place and a most holy place. And then once they moved into Jerusalem, God told Solomon to build the, the temple of God. And then the temple, it was probably the most beautiful building that's ever existed. And it had a holy place and a most holy place. Priests could go into the holy place. But only once a year could they go into the most holy place. Why? Because the most holy place, this room in the temple, housed the Ark of the Covenant. This object is what they used to call the mercy seat of God. And they consecrated. Like they would go in and they would kill innocent spotless lambs. And when they dedicated the temple, they consecrated everything with blood. Now consecration is a churchy term that means set apart. And then they set apart this room for the holiness of God and the, and the anointing of God and the presence of God. And God's presence, he, would, he literally came down and hit this room and he dwelt there amongst his people. Because that's always been his heart, to be amongst the people. He says, I shall be their God and they shall be their, my people and I shall dwell among them. He wanted to be like that. And, and get this, if the priest walked into the most holy place on any other day other than Passover, he would die. And even on Passover, before he could walk into the holy place, he had to make a sacrifice for his sins and then the sins of the people so he could walk in. And then he would present the sacrifice and he would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant had the commandments of God. And, and then, get this, get this, anyone touched the ark of God, they would die. So the proper response to the presence of God is fear and respect. It's not goosebumps. Now that does happen. It's not chills. It's not crying. It's whoa. When the prophet Isaiah encountered the presence of God, he said, woe is me. He was like the only righteous person in all Israel seemed like. He said, man, I'm so unclean. That's how God's presence was treated. And then last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Elijah. You remember Elijah, the prophet of God? He did amazing miracles. Like, dude, he called down fire from heaven. At his word, a famine hit the land. At his word, the famine broke. He struck the Jordan River. He walked across on dry land. He raised the dead. He commanded, he, he, he stood on the word of God. And, and a woman, uh, uh, at his command, the, the oil of his widow never ran out. And then Elisha did twice as many miracles. He, he healed people. Uh, another prophet healed people after he was dead. He, he raised the dead after he was dead. Like a dead body hit Elisha's dead bones and it came back to life because of the presence of God. Like it, that's crazy stuff, right? And then, then we have Moses, who was kind of like a prophet, priest, and king type of, type of guy. And he, like, he stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And he, he, he saw God do the plagues on Egypt. He, he, he listened to God. And he saw God at his command. Like it was, he separated the Red Sea. He, he, he struck the rock, and the water came out of a rock. I mean, Moses saw miracle and miracle. And you know what? I remember hearing these stories growing up my whole life. 
and thinking, I can't wait to talk to David about Goliath. I can't wait to talk to him. Like, what, how, dude, was the water where you crossed, was it six inches deep? And then how did Jesus, how did God drown the Egyptian army? Or was it really deep? You know, like, because there's different theories on that. And then I have all these questions. And you know what? They're going to say to me, he's like, whoa. They're going to say, whoa, that, that, that can wait. What was it like? to have the Spirit of God live in you. What was that like? Because they never got to experience that. Because God's Spirit, this is why when Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, consecrated us. When we put our faith in him, he sets us apart so the Spirit of God can come dwell in us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. So we must realize what God has done. This, is, this changes everything. Like knowing that the Spirit, God himself, lives in you should change how we pray. It should change our expectation. It should change our faith level. That Jesus didn't put qualifiers when he said, ask anything in my name and it will be done. He didn't say, only if you do this. He never said that. He knew people would abuse it and he said it anyways because he wants us to pray big prayers. He wants us to believe God for big things. So when I said last week, I believe we're going to have 600 in service. We're going to have to do four services in this church. I'm praying that way. Pray with me. Pray with me. It's big prayers. Let's have faith. It changes things when you realize what God has done. It changes our prayer life. It changes how we walk. It changes how we talk. It changes how we love people. It changes how we interact with people. And when we realize that, it leads me to my next thought. We must be intentional with what we build. When we realize what God has done, he put his spirit in us, how we build our lives matter. Who we let build into our lives matter. Who we listen to matters. What we listen to matters. What did he say? Jesus will destroy anyone who destroys the temple. If our bodies are the temple, gosh, what we eat matters. Jesus will destroy anything that destroys the temple. It matters. It matters who we let sow into us. It matters what we stand on. In John chapter 2, and also Matthew 22, Jesus clears the physical temple twice. This is so, it's so funny. Like you think about Jesus being loving and kind and so amazing, and he is. He's like, oh, don't. He said, let the little children come to me. And sometimes we get that in our head. Then we get dear Lord baby Jesus in our head. And we get, we get all these things. But Jesus, he was the boss. He walked in authority. He called things out. And when he, he walked in, 
to the temple of the living God. And he saw, he saw people living like the world. He wasn't for it. In, in John 2, it says this is the first time he cleared the temple. He watched him as he braided a whip. Jesus. He's sitting there like, oh, that person's robbing that person over there. That person's ripping off that person over there. That person's over there living like the world. That person's being dishonest. That per- I mean, like, and he took a whip. He walks up to these t- tables. He flips them, turns loose all their stuff, and then he beats <laughs> these, <laughs> these people and drives them. Like, like, you think about driving like he's not... Like it's like a cattle drive. He's beating them with whips, getting them out of the temple, and he says, My God's house shall be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And that's John Chu. That's the first time. The second time, right before his crucifixion, he walks into the temple late one evening and he looks around. He's like, They're at it again. He comes back the next day with a game plan. And clears it again. He flips the tables and and that he did that because he destroys what destroys the temple. Because what they were doing looked like the world and not like the temple of God. And if we are the temple of the Lord now, because God ripped the curtain, the Holy, Jesus, Jesus removed the spirit out of the temple and put his spirit in us, does our life look like the world? Or does it look like Christ. Because when God says he's going to destroy what destroys the temple, he's talking about things that don't look like Christ. And he will drive things out of your life if you let him that don't look like him. Because quite frankly, our lives should point people to Jesus and our words should tell people about Jesus. That's the Christian existence. Our lives point people to Jesus and our words tell people about Jesus. What we build matters. What we build upon the foundation of who Jesus is, Paul's saying, should point people to Jesus. But if it looks like the world, when we stand before God, guess what? It's going to burn up. It's like you, you might look good right now before the world. Like, wow, they're really successful. They're really, and you might not be doing anything immoral or improper or wrong, but if it doesn't look like Jesus... When you stand before God, it's going to burn up. You might still get into heaven. The Bible says you'll get into heaven, but like one who jumped through fire. But what if we lived our lives so intentionally that we, we took into consideration that the spirit of the living God lives in us. And so what I'm going to build on, my, on this foundation of Jesus is a life that looks like him. So when I stand before God, it's going to be a firm foundation and that I will be able to lay my life at his feet and worship. That's the goal. Some of us, we, uh, I don't want any of us to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. I want us to live such a life that points people to Jesus if your life doesn't lead other people to Jesus, you're missing your purpose. How sad would it be if your life never affected any other people for Christ Jesus and you have the most glorious news ever 
that you can have eternal life for all of eternity in God's presence and you are spared eternal death in hell. And we never tell people about it. Well, my, my, my work has a policy that I can't share my faith. That won't matter when you stand before God. Uh, let me tell you this, man. If you get fired, God has something better for you. I'm not saying that you don't honor your bosses. But all I'm saying is when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, do it. It's so interesting. We've, we've made following Jesus so easy, but Jesus said, count the cost. There's a cost to following him. And it's his lordship. That means he gets to tell us how to live. It's not a compromise. It's not like, hey, me and God are going to work some things out here. That's not how it works. It's, he's Lord of my life. I'm going to come into agreement with what he said. So we must be intentional with what we build. I know, I know that you guys know this, but it's always good to reinforce fundamentals and foundations. Colossians 2 says this, in 6 through 10, it says, And now, just as you accepted Christ as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong and truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. The more we go after Jesus, the deeper our roots grow. And if you guys know, if you ever see a really tall tree, the reason that, that tree is very tall is because it has a very deep roots. If you ever see a telephone pole, you guys know what a telephone pole is? I guess they're called power poles because no one has telephones anymore. Um, but do you know a third of the height is underground? It's not like, like it's, if it's 20 foot high, you know, I don't even know how tall they are, but it's a third of that height is underground. It goes down deep. And that's what God's telling us to do. Let your roots grow down deep. And some of us are in a rooting phase right now. We're ready. We're, we're so ready to grow. But growing down into Christ is just as important as growing up and letting people see. In fact, I would argue it's actually more important. Because if you don't have strong roots in Christ on the foundation, when storms come, and they will, say you lose a loved one, you lose a job, someone walks out on you, that will throw you for a while. And you might end up blaming God if you're because a, a tree that doesn't have good roots, how many of you guys have ever seen a tree that snapped off, but the, the roots were just wide, but they weren't deep? Those are the trees that fall over, right? They have wide roots and they look healthy, but when storms come, they tip over. And God doesn't want that for you. He's saying, let your roots grow into Christ, that foundation wrap into Christ so you can stand upright. When life comes, when people challenge you, when people attack you, you can stand because your source is Christ. And then he says, then, then 
your faith will grow strong in truth. Your faith doesn't grow until it's under attack. Faith doesn't grow until you exercise it. Faith doesn't grow until you have an opportunity to walk in it. Man, you can believe God will do something, um, God can do something all day long, but faith is believing God will do something and acting on it. It doesn't take faith to believe God can. It takes faith to believe God will. And he says, and you will overflow. The overflow of all this is thankfulness. God, thank you. Thank you. So when storms hit, thank you. Lord, thank you for trusting me with the storm. Thank you for allowing me to go through this because I wouldn't make it without you. What we build on matters. Christ is the foundation of our life. We must realize what God has done. He put a spirit in us. And we must be intentional with what we build. But how we start building right off the gate is this. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, or you're here and you've, you've, not, you've, you've accepted Jesus, but you haven't been letting him be Lord of your life, that's how, you, that's how you get back to that foundation. There might be some people here watching online that need to put their faith in Jesus. You, you've been living your life your way. It hasn't been working. I almost guarantee it. But when we put our faith in Jesus, he's a sure foundation. He never fails. And so if you're here and you never placed your faith in Jesus and you would like to, we're going to be up here, Pastor Nathan, Amy, and myself, and we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're like, Ryan, I just have some needs I need to pray about. I never want to miss an opportunity to pray with the saints. And we are the church, and we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. So what we always try to do is give an opportunity to lead people to Jesus to pray with people who have needs that they need prayer in, and then also an opportunity to respond to the word of God through worship. So let's stand. I believe that, that a true response to the word of God is always walking out of these doors and living it. I've seen too many people come forward and cry their eyes out in the altar and then walk out the same way. That's not repentance. Repentance is saying, God, I agree with you, and then letting it change your life. And repentance is a process. 